Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts, two men who always struggle to keep their heads above water. It's Brad Roll and JT. <laughs> nice one, Brad Roll. That's a good intro there. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, well, what else can I say about that one? At least you tired us both with the same brush again. We didn't get separate ones because I normally could draw the shit under the stick when we do those. <laughs> oh, it's not intentional, I, I swear. Um, but, <laughs> hello, everyone. We're, today we are reviewing a movie called Underwater, hence the, uh, the pun I put in there. And this is a movie that I originally saw right at the start of lockdown. Um, and I thought it was pretty good. And it's been a couple of years now. It's now available on Disney Plus, which, you know, exactly where you want to find a film like this. Um, and JT was sportingly good to watch it to go with this review. But as it's a movie I'm not familiar with, um, I couldn't think of much in the way of quotes or anything to go with it. So uh, sorry we were tied in there, JT. That's fine, bro. I mean, there aren't that many quotes in this film, to be fair. There's not a huge amount of dialogue, and it's certainly not a, a massively quotable film. Um, I mean, this was when you recommended it. It did sound intriguing, so I've been wanting to watch this. And when it popped up on Plus, and you um, obviously suggested it, I was well up for it. Um, didn't do very well at the box office, though, looking at Wikipedia, did it? it? kind of lost half its budget by the looks of it. Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, yeah, 50 to 80 million, which is fucking typical wiki. You know, was it 50 <laughs> or was it 80? We'll never know. Um, but the box office came back at 40.9. But again, I think that's because this is right at the start of lockdown this came out. Because I watched it when it just randomly appeared on like to rent. Um, so I'd imagine it got kind of cut in half. It didn't get a full run at the cinema. So I guess we'll never know if it would have made some good scratch or not. I don't even know how long it was in the bloody cinema for. If I was actually any good at my job or any good at this podcast, I'd have researched it beforehand, but I'm not. So we really don't know. But um, yeah, it makes me wonder because <laughs> we'll discuss the movie as it goes along, but I'd have been interested to see if this movie would have actually pulled in a fairly decent budget or not. But, but um, like a sort of return, yeah, I mean, say. The only research I really did on this, I had a quick look. Apparently it was it was made in 2017, but it was delayed for three years for whatever reason before it did actually hit the cinemas. And uh, obviously that was very bad timing because then uh, COVID happened. It was January the 10th it came out in the cinemas, 2020. Um, so that was, what, a couple of months before everything kind of went tits up, isn't it? It is, yeah. And one thing I have seen, just while I cast my eyes over, I haven't looked into it in depth, but it looks like this movie was kind of taught, um, caught up in a lot of turmoil because it's a 20th Century Fox um, and a couple of other production companies. But obviously 20th Century were being bought out by Disney at the time. So imagine while all that was processed and they were like, Disney was shaking their dicks around and being a pain in the ass. They probably staggered lots of production and stuff because I know they were like just being a bit of a nightmare because it's Disney at the end of the day. So that's probably something that didn't go in its favour. I mean, other than Kirsten Stewart, who I haven't really seen in a lot of things, I only know her from Twilight, which I haven't seen. I just know she's in it. There's not many actors in this that I really recognise. So it's not like it's an all-star cast or anything like that. It's just kind of a bit of a very under the radar. I mean, I've speak to people about this film and so many people just haven't even heard of it. They don't know it exists, let alone have actually watched it. Yeah, I've got the things here in my little sort of open. Anything I've ever seen her in are the Twilight films, and I have to confess I have seen them all. Can't remember anything that happens apart from little twats sparkling. And um, yeah, I was forced <laughs> to watch them back in the day. But I checked out her filmography before we recorded this earlier while I was making my notes, and I thought, yeah, I've not seen her in anything else other than the Twilight films. It's mad. And as you say, that the rest of the cast, none of them um, jumped out at me. But the guy who plays Rodrigo, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. Uh, apologies. He was in Archive 81, which was on Netflix recently, like a horror series, which apparently is not being renewed for a second season, 
which I kind of understand because it was very hit and miss. He was quite good in it, but the main storyline, everything was a bit shoddy. Um, but he was the only other person I recognised, and that's only from that Archive 81 thing. Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't recognise him myself, but again, it wasn't the biggest cast. The only guy in there, just trying to find his name now, um, he's kind of like, you could call him the comic relief of the movie, I guess. Uh, yeah, TJ Miller, his name is. Um, I've seen him in a couple of films. Um, in, in the two films I don't like, it's one of the Transformers ones. Can't remember which one, and it won't narrow it down if I say it was a shit Transformers movie, because that pretty much is all of them. And he was in Deadpool, yeah. which is another movie I don't really like very much. Um, but I have seen him in things, and normally he just irritates the shit out of me. But in this movie, he didn't actually bother me too much, because this is quite a serious movie. And his, um, I suppose, comic relief, if you want to call it that, his kind of character is a bit of the kind of Lambert character, if you will, from Alien. This is a very Alien-esque movie, which I think what's drawn kind of like my interest to it. Um, but he's like kind of the one who's just like, I'm fucking shitting myself right now, which is kind of the situation I'd be in if I was um, obviously with them in this movie. Yeah, I quite like his character as well. I mean, I've got him down as the Hudson of the movie, but Lambert Hudson, they're kind of the same character, aren't they? They're the ones that shit in it and kind of see sense when people ask him to do something. But yeah, I quite liked his character. Um, we'll obviously talk about what happens to him as we go through it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's take a look at the old uh, synopsis here. So this is pulled from Wikipedia. I've broken it down a little bit because it's fairly hefty on that website. So Kepler 822, a research and drilling facility operated by TN Industries at the bottom of the Marana Trench, is struck by a strong earthquake. As part of the facility is destroyed by the quake, mechanical engineer, engineer Nora Price and her colleagues, Rodrigo Nagada and Paul Abel, crawl through the wreckage to the escape pod bay. When they arrive, they discover all the escape pods were deployed by Captain Lucian, who stayed behind because that's what captains do. Together, they reach the control base and find biologist Emily Haversham and engineer Liam Smith, who confirm that there is no contact with the surface. So that's pretty much the, uh, the opening sort of 20 minutes or so of this movie in a nutshell. What did you think of it, JT? Yeah, I quite like the start. I thought the music at the start was quite sinister as it's sort of going through all the... But you get little clips of, like, newsreels, I guess, with little one-liners. It kind of sets up the scene a little bit, um, like little snapshots. It goes on for quite a while, though. Um, but then I did kind of like... You saw the whole sort of Kepler-822, whatever it's called. It sort of went along, panned along it, and you just got a sort of idea of the grand scale of everything. So I kind of like the way it set it all up there. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing as well. I kind of like, um, obviously, this is underwater, like deep in the ocean. It is kind of like the equivalent of being in space almost, though, isn't it? It gives that same kind of claustrophobia, like you don't want anything bad to go wrong because on the outside is pretty much just instant death, really. Um, it adds that same kind of similar tone to it. One thing I will say about this movie, it doesn't waste any time getting going. I know you said there, like, the kind of intro, it's kind of giving you a little bit of, kind of like, um, a bit of a feel for kind of like the situation. Then you see the facility, then in about five minutes, the real Slim Shady or um fucking whatever, whatever her name is, uh, Nora Price, brushing her teeth, and then suddenly the whole place just starts fucking blowing up. So it kind of like kicks off pretty heavy. Yeah, it does. The minute you see her, and there's that spider in the sink, which is a bit strange. I'm not sure spiders would survive down there, but she's like, it's even she's like, what are you doing here? And then yeah, that shit hits the fan. I'm not sure about her hairstyle in this. I mean, she's a very pretty woman, but her hair, I don't know. I mean. She has got a nice face with short hair, but it's properly short, isn't it? It is, yeah. Again, it's just a really weird like thing. Is I'm not saying like you know they should look ultra, you know, make every woman look ultra feminine and stuff. Obviously, it's a design choice that was made, but yeah, it's a really strange one, really. Um, 
And I thought the same thing about that spider. I was like, would the spider actually be able to, how, one, how would it get down there in the first place? And two, would it actually exist? Because they're like right at the bottom of the ocean, aren't they? Like deep, deep down. Yeah, yeah, they are. There's one bit as well I read when I was doing a little bit of research earlier. I didn't read a lot, but the bit at the start where she's running, where all the shit's going down and um, she has to close that door. And that's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? And old Rodrigo's going, you need to fucking close it, otherwise we're all going to die. And then she does. But um, that bit, she's running in bare feet. But apparently, they were worried she was going to cut her feet on the on the set. So they actually put shoes on her and painted them to look like feet, which is pretty fucking random. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't think that, because obviously you do see the close-up of her feet, which I assume were like genuine bare feet just for the sake of it. And I was like thinking, fucking hell, I mean, obviously if everything's imploding, you wouldn't worry too much about what's on your feet. But I was like, man, you're going to do some serious damage to yourself there. But that's pretty cool that they've done that. Yeah, it's pretty random, isn't it? And um, when they first meet old uh, Paul, and he's like, oh, he's he's buried, isn't he? And the first thing he says to her is, hi, Nora, what is it? You uh, sweet, flat-chested, elvin creature. I was like, oh, that's one way to greet you, I guess, after you just saved your life, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, this guy's got some fucking weird dialogue. He carries around like a little teddy unicorn, doesn't he? Or bunny or whatever it is, and fucking funny, tucks yeah. it into like, his fucking long johns or whatever he's wearing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I did like his character, though. He he uh, does have that kind of comic relief. Although he's not particularly funny, he certainly breaks up the, the deadpanness of the rest of the crew who are, you know, obviously they're in a shit situation, so you're probably not going to be cracking too many jokes. When they do meet the captain, I thought it was quite strange that he's managed to put a sling on and bandage himself up in amidst all the shit that's been going down. He's packed himself up quite well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's done a pretty good job there, hasn't he? Like, considering, like you say, he's been like trying to get people out. He's... Like you say, good captain saying he's pretty much going to go down with the ship or make sure his crew get out first to start with. But like I say, he's pretty much fucked over, but he's he's done pretty well with like a little tourniquet, pretty much. Yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah, I quite like the intro. It's quite good, and as you say, once once the titles are up and up and gone, then uh, yeah, it kicks off pretty quickly. And um, there is definitely some good claustrophobic moments when they're crawling through that tunnel when they first find old Paul. That's like, well, oh, fuck that. I mean, I don't like the thought of being underwater anyway, and I don't like enclosed spaces. So both of those together is a big no for me. Yeah, I mean, I love like sci-fi and stuff, and I love the idea. I like, I like boats and I like the ocean, but the thought of being underwater or the thought of being in this space, I don't think I can handle either of them. I'd just rather stay on land. I'll be all right, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my old man's best mate, he was um, in submarines. He was in the Navy, and he spent his whole time in submarines, and I just admire anyone who can do that kind of shit because it's not for me. No, definitely not. I like going down to Portsmouth. And we went to the um, last time we were down there, we went to the submarine museum. And when you're on outside, you're like, man, these things are fucking huge. And you go in and you're like, shit, it's like being inside a can of baked beans, like such close quarters. <laughs> and like bunks are literally like you're asleep. And then there's like a bunk right in front of your face. I couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But anyway, moving on. So Lucian suggests using pressurized suits to walk one mile across the ocean floor to the Roebuck 641 station and use their escape pods. Nora is nervous because they might die from the pressure or run out of oxygen. Good thing to be nervous about. Lucien asks yeah. her to consider that they might live. Emily panics because she has never been outside the station and doesn't have the pressure suit. And doesn't even have a pressure suit. While assembling a pressure suit for Emily, Rodrigo finds a helmet with a hairline crack. There are no more helmets, so he makes a quick decision. They help Emily into her suit. As they descend in the cargo elevator, Rodrigo's defective helmet implodes under the increased water pressure. Rodrigo sacrifices himself so that Emily can live. Um, we'll obviously talk about the scene, but that bit where Rodrigo died, 
dies, or Rodrigo, I can't say it properly, sorry. Um, when his helmet starts cracking, when they're in the elevator, and you're just thinking, man, that's fucking horrible. That was such a horrible way to go. But at the same time, his death is pretty much instantaneous, isn't it? He just kind of implodes and explodes at the same time. Yeah, it does. It's pretty gnarly. I mean, there's not a huge amount of blood in this. There's a couple of things that are quite similar where people implode inside their helmets. But um, yeah, and I'm sure bit just straight after that, Nora's walking. They're all a bit freaked out. I'm sure she gets hit by a bit of Rodrigo. Like there's bits of him floating around and a bit hits her. Just like a bit of his well, body. I don't know where he's imploded. It's fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, it is. And again, it's, it's very, very claustrophobic. One thing I will say is obviously they they sort of met, met Lucy. And like you say, he's kind of patched himself up. He's put this plan together pretty quickly, don't you think? Like he's got like this map and he's drawn out. So, oh, yeah, yeah, we go down here and we walk across there and we can get to this and that. It's like, hang on, you've managed to put this whole plan together and not only that, you've actually drawn a nice little map that actually indicates exactly where everyone needs to go right now. It's like, you know, how long have you been here? You know, this explosion or this incident happened about, you know, 10 minutes ago on the movie and so far you've patched yourself up and came out of a fucking plan with a diagram. Yes, good, isn't it? It reminded me of Aliens, the plan he's got, the sort of schematics. It's like um, Aliens when they find the, uh, the colonists in the heating bit, isn't it? Kind of when they're looking, oh, we just need to go along here. There's all these big fucking pipelines and stuff. But yeah, like you say, he's worked it out fairly quick. I'll tell you what was fucking random, and I don't really know why it was there. So it was so out of place. When they were all getting suited up, some kind of punk version of the SpongeBob SquarePants themes playing. I was like, that's kind of the only music in the whole film. It's just really weird. It's the Avril Lavigne version, isn't it? I remember we used to play oh, that version it? in the shop. Yeah, the Avril Lavigne. And I thought that. I was like, this does not go with the movie whatsoever. It's just really out of place because it's really upbeat and kind of, like you say, punk rocky, punk poppy. I was like, this movie's like really kind of like quite moody. It's quite dark, and so far, it's you know not looking very light-hearted. And then you got fucking Avril Lavigne squeaking away in the background. <laughs> I didn't know it was Avril Lavigne. I forgot we used to play that. Fuck me, my memory shot. Oh well, yeah, but it just definitely was out of place. And um, there was obviously the schematics and everything. And old uh, Lucian came out with his plans, very aliens. But the whole vibe when they're getting into the suits, and there was even a couple of noises that reminded me of aliens. Um, when the suits were being done up, there was a, I, can't, I won't make the noise, but it was a very like alien sort of noise, like a sound effect. And um, yeah, it was just uh, the whole Aliens vibe runs through this film, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the first things, the thing that um, stuck with me after the first time I watched it, it had been a few years, so when I watched it last night, I'd only remember kind of like the broad stroke, so um, I've only seen it twice. But yeah, one thing that I came away with, this is pretty much Alien Underwater, in like a lot of senses, just the way it's done. The suits they're wearing as well, they reminded me of like Gears of War or something. Cause they're just these big kind of like yes. chunky, look like they're made out of like the Unreal Engine cause they're just ridiculous. But I was like, man, this is like Gears of War underwater with Alien pretty much. Yeah, actually I got that Gears of War vibe. It just made everyone look about four times bigger than they actually are. Cause the suits are so fucking big. Apparently I think they weighed three kilos. Another bit of research I, I sort of did when I was reading a little bit. So, I mean, the actors, again, we talked about the Robocop suit a few weeks ago where old uh, Peter Weller had that. Apparently the guys in this had fucking issues with those suits because they were so bloody heavy. I mean, they do look heavy, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. They do look massive. And again, like, no, obviously disrespect. I mean, um, the, that TJ guy, the kind of comic relief guy, he's quite a big dude. But old um, Kirsten Stewart, like, she's so slight, isn't she? I mean, she's obviously fucking chiselled and she doesn't wear a lot of clothes other than the armour. Like, most of the time she's running around and just kind of, like, pants and a bra in this or like a kind of yeah, like swimsuit type thing but she's fucking like she's quite a slight person so fair play that she managed to walk around with that fucking thing on 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just going back to that whole Aliens vibe, my missus said to me this morning, what film are you doing for the podcast this week? And I was like, oh, Underwater, you probably haven't seen it. And she went, yeah, it's on Disney, in Under the Sea. I was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Good shout. I mean, we should have just done that. That would have been the review, Alien Underwater, sorted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they see a distress beacon from one of the failed escape pods. When Smith and Paul prepare to rescue any survivors, Emily is disturbed by that Smith, her boyfriend, is leaving her to go outside. Paul um, comforts her by giving her his plushy bunny, Little Paul, saying, take this bunny, I bequeath it to you. If he doesn't make it, I'll haunt you. Shocked, um, but mollified, Emily accepts the bunny. When Smith and Paul arrive at the damaged escape pod, they find a body in the rubble. A creature emerges from the corpse's back and attacks. Smith kills a creature and takes it inside. Emily examines the creature and realizes that it belongs to a previously undiscovered species. She theorizes that the rig drilled into a thermal pocket where these creatures live. This is confirmed by a previously recorded 10 degree rise in the outside water temperature. This bit was pretty cool, I thought. And we just said there, like the suits look like Gears of War. But when they pick up those kind of weapons, they're basically tools. That reminded me of Dead Space. because I think it's a plasma cutter or every weapon in Dead Space is basically just a tool of some kind, isn't it? So it has some very video gamey vibes going on here. Yeah, it really does, actually. Yeah, that, Dead Space is a good shout, actually. Yeah, I totally get that now. Um, it's weird as well, because Paul was totally, no, I'm not fucking doing this. I'm totally neg. I'm against it. And then suddenly he's like, yep, I'll go. Because at first he winds Emily up, doesn't he? He says, you've got to go out there. And she's like, oh, no. And he's like, no, I'm only joking. I'll do it. But he, he's completely changed his tune now, hasn't he? From being like, no, I'm not fucking moving to, yep, I'll go. He's like, he's done a full fucking 360. Yeah, that made me laugh, actually, because he's like, well... Emily, it's time for you to show your worth. Go on. And yeah. she's just like, what the fuck is it? I'm just fucking with you. Don't worry about it. I thought that was actually um, genuinely quite funny. And it is that kind of like nervous tension that they'd have, isn't it? Like he's obviously, I don't know, I guess he's just trying to kind of like cover up how much he's shitting himself by deflecting it with humour. You can kind of imagine that. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's very um, human sort of reaction. It's done really well. And again, the alien vibes, when they're looking for the beacon and it's all kind of the camera's panning around and then you've got Lucian in the actual thing itself watching them on the camera totally fucking the first alien film isn't it when they go out on LV426 yeah because like you say you even see some of the tracking things and the um like the way they're sort of like tracking their people versus like the schematics and stuff and it is literally like you're half expecting someone to be like move get out of there that sort of thing it is literally (laughs) that scene almost um it's pretty cool when they do find the pod and they've got like that kind of um I don't know, like slime, isn't it? And they're like, oh, is this some kind of algae or something? And then they yeah. see the body and it's like shuddering. And then that thing just fucking shoots out like a chest burster. And it even looks a bit like a chest burster because they take it indoors, don't they? And it's just a big kind of like worm type thing. I thought the design was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. But it's that thing again, we talk about it in every film. It was AVP last week. They're like, come on, you've seen the body, just fucking go now, go now. But they're like, no, and they want to have a closer look. And then obviously shit goes down. Um, and there's another bit as well where, um, they're back in inside the pod or whatever it is, and they've got the creature in there and it's dead, although its muscles are still moving a little bit and they get a bit freaked out, which you would. But then Paul goes to shut the door, doesn't he, the main outer door or whatever, but they leave the creature in there. I think I'd have lobbed it out as well before I shut the door because they're not sure if that thing's coming back to life or what it's going to do, are they? They just leave it in there with them. Now they're locked in with it. Well, that's it. It's a new species, as they've obviously pointed out. And it's like, we don't know if it's actually dead. Like you say, you don't know what it's going to fucking do. You don't know if it's going to call loads of his buddies or turn out to be some fucking <laughs> evil thing, which obviously it does. Um, yeah, I'd have been like, nah, fucking get that thing out of this room. I don't want it in here. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and then you get a jump scare as well when one of them crashes against the window. It's like a bit of a whoa moment. There's, um, there's a couple of little jump scares in this film. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a scary film at all, though, really. It's tense, definitely an atmospheric, but I wouldn't say it was scary. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you like to say, tense and atmospheric is definitely the two words to kind of describe it, really. But like you say, it's not scary, scary, but it kind of it's enough to kind of keep you engaged and hooked to see what's going to happen next because there's some good camera angles, I think. Like I said, that bit when they were kind of going out to the pod and they find the body... I like the way it almost seemed like the cameras were like on their shoulders sort of thing. Again, a very video game trope these days, sort of Resident Evil, Dead Spacey. So you weren't seeing too much. You were only kind of like stuck with like a rigid view. Yeah, no, I like the way it was shot. It definitely added to the tension and the atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the five descend to the sea floor. As they are walking, Kepler station, Kepler station explodes, showering them with debris. Smith is hit, but Nora and Lucian save him. They arrive at the Midway Station access tunnel, where they change their oxygen and clear their suits. However, Smith's oxygen scrubber was badly damaged by falling debris. On their way through the access tunnel, Paul is attacked by an unknown creature, dragging him underwater and killing him. At Midway, Nora holds Paul's bunny and broods over Paul's death for a few minutes until she is called to fix the Smith's oxygen scrubber. She discovers that Smith's damaged oxygen pod will cause him to suffocate from the toxic fumes. Are willing to leave another crew member behind, Nora, Lucian and Emily agree to help Smith walk. The four set off across the ocean floor, but a humanoid creature appears and drags Smith into a cave. Lucian pulls Smith out, but is himself uh, dragged into the cave and then pulled down deep, a deep shaft and ever-increasing pressure. Risking implosion, Nora tries to rescue Lucian, but he lets go and sacrifices himself so she can live. That's a bit of a chunk there. There's a fair few bits that go on here, but it's kind of... I wouldn't say it's action-packed. There's a lot going on, isn't there, with like them being attacked. We start to see like the creatures a bit more now, don't we? Yeah, I mean, you never really get a proper full-on shot of the creatures, do you? You kind of see them in the light. Obviously, it's underwater, it's dark, and they kind of have to turn their lights off when they, they see the creatures, because obviously they don't want to be spotted. So you, you get glimpses of them. But again, it's a bit like the first Alien film. You never get a full-on whole-body shot of these creatures, I don't think, throughout the whole film. No, no, I don't think you do. And I quite like that because like they're at the bottom of the ocean, obviously it's dark, it's fucking horrible anyway. Again, another video game we should call to mind is Bioshock, really, because that was another vibe that was running through this. Um, but yeah, I like the way, like, just a twinkle of their eyes and just like the basic kind of, like the outline of them every now and then and they sort of flash past the screen. The fact that you don't see them properly, I think makes them a bit more scary because you're kind of like thinking, what the fuck is this thing? Is it big? Is it small? Is it... Whatever. I mean, a bit later on, we see a bit more of them. But um, yeah, I, I quite like the way this was all done. Yeah, yeah, I do as well. Um, and when, when they're walking along, Paul finds that empty bottle. So he finds some stuff that's been left by one of the, the uh, other crew members. And he's like, oh, shit. It's like, oh, yeah, I definitely would have needed a drink by now, mate. I feel your pain there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fucking, I didn't need a drink. I didn't need anything, really, to fucking get me through that. When old matey boy dies, though, it's pretty um pretty brutal because like, they're doing that typical thing at you'd never want to do in a situation where you've got to go underwater and kind of like travel through like a broken tunnel and come out on the other end. And obviously he's the last one to go. And they do that. I think the way it's done pretty well because you kind of see the creature behind him. He's spotted it and he's like, fuck it, I'm going. He's the last one. Then they're struggling to pull the rope and it makes you think that he's being killed. And then he comes out and he's okay. Then the monster kind of pulls him down and like rips his leg off and pulls him out of his suit. But again, I think it's a pretty well done death really. Yeah. I, I've got that here, actually. That obviously, he goes under and you see this thing behind him. He's like, fuck it, I'm doing this. And I, I thought that when they're pulling him and they, they can't get him through, I thought 
they're going to pull him through and, you know, half his body's going to be missing or, you know, they're just going to pull his arm through and there'll be nothing left of him. But he's fine. It lulls you into that full sense of security. I'm like, oh, good. He's all right. I like Paul. And next thing, he fucking dies. I'm like, oh, God. But there we go. It's quite brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, Dan. And again, I, I like the way they don't really go over the top of, like, the brutality in this movie. I mean, like you say, it's freaky. It's got some blood in it when it needs it, but it's not like a ridiculous kind of like something like sore or fucking it or something like that where it's just blood for blood's sake it is more about the kind of character journey and i think that's what kind of i quite liked about it yeah yeah totally agree and we get every time we had one last week in avp um emily has a philosophical moment in this film doesn't she about well the ocean it, it wants to take it back and we should not be here there's always one person in these films who has some kind of philosophical moment at one point isn't there yeah there is <laughs> i don't know what it is with these things i mean in some ways you can kind of understand there's like maybe it's this movie is like supposed to be one of those kind of subliminal warnings or maybe we shouldn't destroy the earth any more than we have which you can certainly get behind but yeah like i say, there's always that one character who kind of sits there and kind of has that kind of kumbaya moment so to speak yeah and then nora when um her and Lucian are sort of they're going up in the pressure and I mean that's an added thing isn't it you've got these fucking creatures after you and you're worried about obviously the pressure and you're going to explode that thing like almost bites your head off it sort of goes Ooh, and sort of puts a whole fucking head in its mouth and then obviously Lucian saves her and he kind of just blows up doesn't he with the pressure he just explodes yeah and again it's just one of those things you think man that's fucking horrific but at least it's kind of like an instantaneous death you know you wouldn't be around long enough to fucking feel anything would you the way it happens no, I guess it's the whole thing at the time, though, because you know it's going to happen. It's the build-up to it, because he knew it was going to happen. Obviously, like the synopsis says, he sacrifices himself to save Nora. So it's that kind of, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Any minute now, I'm going to explode. Oh, there we go. But like I say, once it's happened, you ain't going to know much about it. Yeah. There's one bit here, and again, it's another thing that I think was really well shot. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's hanging off like the edge of something, and she's trying to rescue him. And one of the creatures is kind of behind her. And they're on this platform, and it's a bit strange because it's like lights, and they're kind of going on and off, and this creature's kind of stepping across them. So one minute it's in the light, and then it's not. And it's kind of like just dancing around behind her. It might just be the one that in a minute, like you said, it kind of puts her head in its mouth almost. But the build-up to that I thought was really fucking good because you were like, I don't know, it's almost like it was on one of those really shitty kind of like old-school discos where like the fucking floor lit up almost, you know, expecting like Michael Jackson to start singing Billie Jean. But the way it's moving around in the shadows with a little <laughs> bit of light coming up, I thought it looked fucking good. Yeah, it was quite good. It's well shot. But like you say, that floor is really weird, isn't it? It's like a fucking party game, isn't it? Like fucking, you know, tread on this light and then and then like red light, green light from fucking uh, Squid Game or something. But yeah, it was quite <laughs> cool the way it was shot and the way it went in and out of the light and you kept getting glimpses of it. It was pretty cool. So um, now alone, Laura, uh, Nora arrives at the abandoned Shepherd station. She rummages through Lucian's locker and finds a pentagram uh, drawn on an old blueprint of the initial drilling site. Nora changes into an undamaged suit and continues towards Roebuck Station. Nora catches up with Emily and Smith and helps drag the injured Smith along the seafloor. At Roebuck, they encounter a nest of humanoid creatures suspended from a ceiling that attempt to sneak, but attempt to sneak by. The sound of Emily's oxygen alarm wakes the creatures. Nora is partially swallowed by a creature but frees herself by firing her flare gun well inside his body. Freeing herself from the cops, she fires a second flare into the distance and sees a creatures are spawned from an ancient titanic creature called Cthulhu. Now, before we get to a bit about Cthulhu, which I absolutely love because I love Lovecraftian stuff, there's a couple of bits here that I thought kind of just, I don't know, they just didn't work. I thought the movie was quite 
good so far. And two bits here that just I thought these are a little bit flimsy as far as plot go. So number one, obviously, she's just barely survived. Matey Boy sacrificed himself, fair enough. She gets to a station. Then we see her, she's just in a shower. Like, well, yeah. I understand you're like, um, you're like, obviously shaken and stirred and all that stuff. Like, you've seen your friends die. I would not be taking a fucking shower at this stage while there's fucking monsters outside and half my people are dying, but she's just in a fucking shower. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And I, I thought, is she in a shower? What? Because you kind of see a close-up of her face and all the water dripping down. I'm like, yeah, she's having a shower. I thought maybe she was just wet from obviously being being outside, but no, she's having a shower. It's fucking random. And now she just starts walking around in, in a jumper and just her pants until she puts that suit on. Not really sure what the point of that is. I guess, like, she's just been in the shower, so she's only half-dressed, but just seemed a bit weird. She starts going a bit stir-crazy as well, doesn't she? Which is understandable. She starts throwing shit around and getting a little bit mad, but, you know, she's had a pretty tough time of it, to be fair to her. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. it does seem to be a bit of an excuse. It's like, you know, how how little clothes can we give Kirsten Dunst to wear in this movie other than when she's wearing like her armor, like I said earlier, she pretty much is walking around just her fucking pants half the time. Um, and another thing here is eventually she gets into that suit, which again, I think is a nod to Lambert because this time it's yellow. That reminds me of Lambert's mm. kind of yellowish space suit from alien. But then she just happens to find Emily on the ocean. It's pitch black <laughs> fucking, I don't know, fish things fly, you know swimming around and doing all this shit just happens to bump into emily and i'm like it's a bit too convenient even for you know horror movies yeah it is a bit and then they're just dragging poor fucking smith behind him i know he's injured and everything but they're literally dragging him along the seafloor like poor bloke i mean yeah i suppose it's the only way they can really transport him but it just seemed a little bit harsh and then they walk up to and um emily's like we're here and it pans out to this massive view, and they're still about fucking a mile away from it. She's like, oh, we're here now. But um, it's fucking massive, the roebuck, isn't it? It is a bit. And I tell you what, I, I do like the fact that this movie, it kind of just cracks on and gets on with it. But at the same time, it's almost one of those movies that is quite intriguing because it's like, I kind of want to know what all these things are doing at the bottom of the ocean and what the practicality of fucking building them in the first place. I was like, you know, this feels like it needs a bit more fleshing out why there's all these massive stations all over the place because they look cool. I just felt like we needed a bit more substance to go behind it. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. You've seen all these big like structures and locations, but there's no real explanation how, why, or what they're doing there. Obviously, they're doing some weird shit on the bottom of the sea. I get that. But, yeah, it is a bit like you're just supposed to take it for granted that all these things exist. And, I mean, they're huge fucking structures as well. Like, say, the robots, the robots are massive. But there we go. And when they when they first get in there and all the people are hanging or whatever... Again, it's another Aliens vibe. It's like the Aliens hive, isn't it, almost? It is, yeah, and it's done pretty well. I mean, one thing you've got to say about this movie is you can tell where the influences are coming from. But I kind of like the fact that it almost kind of wears them on their sleeve proudly. It's like, yeah, we liked Alien, we're going to yeah. do Alien Underwater. Like, it's not trying to disguise what it's kind of referencing at the end of the day. So I kind of give it credit there. That bit where they're sort of going through and all like the fucking the nesters above them and all that sort of stuff. I thought, again pretty tense then when her fucking oxygen thing starts going off you know that sense of panic kicks in you're like shit how many of them are going to hear it but one thing i really liked um again as i mentioned i'm you know as i've mentioned before i do like lovecraftian stuff and i was not expecting this at all is when fucking cthulhu stood up like there's one minute there's this fucking nest and she's being eaten by this big fucking thing that she shoots with a flare gun then like the ceiling and you think it's a ceiling at first lifts up and she fires the other flare and it's this big fucking Cthulhu monster underwater. I was like, shit, I was not expecting that at all. 
Yeah, I thought I looked quite cool. Um, she, she almost gets her head bitten off for the second time in the space of 10 minutes. But uh, like I say, she shoots the flare through that little one or one of the little warriors, I'll call them, like the alien warriors, I guess. And then she fires a second flare up and it's quite cool the way it just goes up and then it lights Cthulhu. I thought that looked pretty smart, actually. Yeah, it was good. Um, and one thing as well, again, like you said earlier, like we don't really see like the drones or the warriors, which is a good word for them, but you never really get to see a clear shot of Cthulhu at first. You're kind of like, what the fuck is that? Is that or is it or isn't it sort of thing? It's just this big fucking monster. And again, mm. you don't really get to see him or her properly. It's just this big fucking thing in the ocean. But yeah, pretty badass, I thought. Yeah, no, I like that. There's um, there's a big explosion now and a bit of slow mo. There's a fair bit of random slow mo in this, and it kind of, it's weird because it, you get a couple of slow mo frames, then it goes back to normal pace, then back to slow mo again. It's weird the way it's shot some of the action scenes in this. I thought. Yeah, and there's a particular scene at the end which we'll get to shortly. Um, it's really slow mo, and I kind of thought because it almost goes back on itself. Um, but we'll get there in a second. But yeah, I know what you mean about like the way the pacing is shot sometimes. So um, inside the station, they reach the escape pod bay, but Nora discovers that only two of the pods are functional. Nora and Emily get the ailing Smith into a pod, but he insists the ladies go first, so he weakly fights them to take the, um, the last pod. Nora convinces Smith to get in the pod by giving him the bunny, saying, here, take this, give it to his parents, tell them that um, this is my favourite pain in the ass. Smith agrees, and they um, activate his pod. Emily notices that the third pod is flashing red and is defective. She offers to stay with Nora and help her fix it. Nora forcefully persuades Emily to take the second pod and activates it. Meanwhile, Cthulhu has been attacking the Roebuck. While the smaller creatures pursue the two escape pods, instead of repairing the third pod, Nora accepts her fate. She uses the remaining time to calculate a safe distance for Smith and Emily's pods. As soon as the pods are out of the blast zone, she initiates an overload of the Roebuck's nuclear core resulting in a massive explosion that kills her, Cthulhu, and the creatures. And there's a little bit more to come after this, but um, what do you think of the ending, the way this kind of wrapped itself up? It's a little bit hit and miss, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> we've got Kristen Stewart now running around in just her underwear, which seemed to be a bit of an excuse. I guess she's taking the suit off now, but, you know, she's not exactly wearing a lot, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, I don't really know. Um, and then they put Chris in that pod and he has kind of a bit of a farewell speak to Emily and I'm thinking you haven't really got time for this mate just fucking get out of there but you know I guess he thinks he'll probably never see her again so that's that's kind of touching and then I thought obviously there's the only two pods and it says there that um, Emily notices it I don't know if she does Nora definitely notices that one of them's not working but I'm not sure if Emily does or not I think once em uh, Nora shoves her into that second pod I think then she might notice um, but then I thought, could not two of them squeeze into one of those pods? I guess not. They are pretty tightly packed, but it might be worth a risk. I don't know. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah, because she kind of puts her in and then, like say, she looks over and sees it and then she's trying to struggle. And then fucking uh, Kirsten Stewart just fucking punches her, doesn't she? And almost like yeah, she knocks does. her back. It's a proper fucking whack on the face as well. It looked pretty genuine, even though it was obviously acting, but it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, you know, for the sake of just quickly shooting up to the surface, which obviously what these things are supposed to do, couldn't two of you have kind of like, you know, risk it? But yeah, I guess it's obviously all building up to that kind of, that sacrifice that she makes. But then like she fires the pods off and sets the charge. And then there's this scene and it's quite a good scene. I like the way it's shot. It's kind of like a silhouette of her sat and there's like a pool of water. I guess obviously there's leaks in the station where Cthulhu's been attacking but she just kind of just sat there pondering to herself and there's some monologue going on. It's like, 
you really got time to sort of sit here and just fucking contemplate your shopping list when there's a fucking monster eating the bloody <laughs> the station that you're on and stuff. I just thought it was a bit weird. Unless it's supposed to be kind of like an out-of-body experience. I don't know. Yeah, it was a bit weird, wasn't it? You get that close-up of her face and she's just sort of going off on one and well, quite slowly and methodically. And then it kind of ends. And I thought it was a little bit of a cop-out. I mean, we've had three people now sacrifice themselves in this film. And, um, I mean, the explosion looked quite cool and everything, but I don't know. It just seemed a bit of a, not shit ending, because it, it wasn't shit, but I don't know. It just wasn't the ending I was expecting, to be honest. I thought they'd all escape and there might be a, a big battle with Cthulhu, but no, she just blows everything up. Yeah, I guess it's that kind of thing, like, again, like an alien, is it? How do you get rid of the alien when it's on a ship where you blow it out of an airlock? But there's usually a bit of a build-up and confrontation, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how they would have fought Cthulhu because it's so fucking big, but like you say, you yeah. kind of just thought there would have been something, they'd have tried to trap it or do something or maybe even leave it open. Like, they'll destroy all the little creatures, but Cthulhu survives and he, like, ends with him bursting out of the surface or something. I don't know, but, yeah, it was a bit of a strange ending. Um so yeah. just to wrap things up completely, uh, the escape pod surf um, reached the surface and then the movie kind of ends with some news reels. It kind of reminded me of Dog Soldiers a bit. Uh, Teen Industries refused to cooperate with investigators regarding the events. Smithing and Emily are sequestered from the press. Paul's plushy bunny is confiscated and taken into evidence and Teen prepares to expand its drilling efforts. That's pretty much how the movie phases out, really kind of ends the way it started doesn't it with all the little clips and again we have one of these films where the government denies all knowledge and everything the government's always fucking covering things up in these films isn't it yeah i mean we all know you can't trust the government but yeah i mean there's a fucking alien a bloody a ufo or god knows else what like a monster or whatever there's always like the government bloody kind of like you say covering it up and stuff but it was a bit of a strange ending really i have read here i mean i've only seen this digital both times so i don't have it on blu-ray but apparently there is an alternate ending. Um, so after the overloaded core, Nora actually makes her way to the damaged escape pod and rewires it, escaping it just um, escaping just before the roebuck explodes. It doesn't say if we actually see her survive or not, but I don't know how much time she'd have had to fix that thing because if she set the charge, I don't know how long it was counting down while Cthulhu was doing his thing, but it could be interesting to see that maybe. Yeah, maybe it's on the Blu-ray or something, the alternate ending, if they actually filmed it, or maybe it was just scripted, I don't know. But, um, I mean, we've said it all the way through the film, the alien vibe, and I think when she sat there at the end, there's a definite Ripley vibe to it, isn't there, where she's just sort of, you know, she has pretty much saved everyone else. Um, but obviously Ripley survives, shock horror, if you haven't seen the alien films, and uh, Nora doesn't, but there's definitely a Ripley vibe about her at the end. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it kind of does throw it on the head because you kind of expect her to survive, don't you? But obviously she makes, yeah. like you say, it's one too many sacrifices. It almost diminishes the amount of people sacrificing themselves. But I guess maybe it's just to show that the people that work at the bottom to these like stupid, greedy corporations, obviously they're, they're, they're like each other's family. But I don't know if it's the sort of thing that was supposed to be like, did the corporation know the Cthulhu was down there, like this creature was down there, or were they just drilling because they were greedy and uncovered something they shouldn't have done? It's kind of left a bit ambiguous that way isn't it it is a little bit i'm not really sure why the bunny's taken into um for evidence because what's it going to tell you it doesn't really you know hasn't really got any sort of anything to give away has it i mean evidence what's a fucking plushy bunny that's been underwater what's it going to actually approve but there we go yeah yeah that's a fair point um so that pretty much wraps up uh underwater the only thing left to do now is to give this one some scores and i believe is it your turn to go first this week jt 
Uh, what did we do last week? AVP. Yeah, I think it is my turn to go first, actually. I think you went first with AVP. Well, so, take um, it away. I uh, will do then. So, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this. Obviously, you'd sort of given it a bit of a thumbs up a couple of years back when you first saw it, and I had been intrigued by it. Um, and as we've said all the way through this review, definite alien vibes from this. It is alien underwater. Um, it's quite well shot, though, and it does really emphasise the claustrophobia and panic of being underwater. And I really liked some of the some of the shots and the way it was filmed. Some of it does get a bit muddled and chaotic. I mean, there's bits going all over the place and where it's dark, you can't really see what's going on. But that kind of added to the, the chaos. And that was probably the intention. I don't know. Uh, Kristen Stewart's quite good in the film, I have to say. She's no Ripley. Um, but she she does it well. She's quite a likable character. Paul's pretty cool, and I was a bit annoyed when he got killed because he was pretty much my favourite of the other characters in the film. There's hardly really any blood or gore, but I think it does a good job of sort of doing that. The less is more thing that we talk about quite often, and you never really get a good shot of the creatures, so it's definitely less is more there as well. Um, yeah, overall, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it's not treading any new ground whatsoever. It's never going to win any awards, really. Um, I'd say, though, a good solid three others for this one, Bread Roll, was quite enjoyable. Um, so I'd say solid, if unspectacular. What about yourself? Oh, very good, JT. Well, I'm glad you did enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I watched this a couple of years ago at the start of the first lockdown, um, and I remember it being pretty good. So I was looking forward to coming back to it a couple of years later. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I like the pacing of it. I think, you know, if it's not something set in space something underwater is just as good i mean a lot of sci-fi ideas are all derived from the ocean um a lot of sci-fi designs from star trek to star wars and whatnot have all come from fish and aquatic animals so it made sense to put it under there loads and loads of video game vibes which i really like everyone knows i'm a big gamer um dead space bioshock uh you know a bit of gears of war resident evil stuff that was all in there mixed together again with a good dose of aliens so all those kind of those nods and those kind of ingredients were right up my alley. And like I say, I don't think the movie tries to hide where it gets its influences from. So respect there. It's not like it's borrowing and being like, oh yeah, we're reinventing the wheel. I think they were quite good at being like, yeah, yeah, this is obviously a nod to this and nod to that. So happy with that. Um, the cast was pretty good. I mean, it's a small cast, but it didn't need to be a big one. Again, another alien vibe there, claustrophobic. It was a handful of survivors. Kirsten Stewart was good. Paul was a good character and everyone else did their parts pretty well. The less is more stuff was good. The Lovecraftian vibe was a nice surprise. I love seeing Cthulhu at the end. Um, yeah, doesn't tread any new ground, but at the same time, I think it's one of the better modern horror monster movies, even though it's not really scary. It's definitely atmospheric and it is quite tense. Watch it in a dark room with some the volume turn up. You'll probably have a good time. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to give it a three as well. I think... It, could be worthy over time it might be worthy of a four um but i'd have to revisit a few times over the next few years but as for right now a three it's going to get from me right down the middle it's not dreadful it's not amazing but it's very much watchable and i would recommend anyone to check it out if you're a fan of things like alien or just sort of horrors in general so yeah three from me good stuff bread roll yeah so we agree on this one um which we um we, well, we agreed on avp last week but that was going to happen uh, yeah <laughs> I, I think, as I said, it, it was pretty solid. I quite enjoyed watching it earlier. One thing I will say, though, which I've got to say in my final little review there, there's quite a lot of walking around. Although it's quite well-paced and it's quite fast-paced, they do tend to walk around quite a lot. Just a, a word of warning. Yeah, it's kind of like, let's get from this room to that room. Now let's get from this bunker to that bunker and bits and pieces. And along the way, just people sacrifice themselves, really. So, 
yeah, that's kind of video game vibes, isn't it? Let's go from one room to another or one area to another. So that kind of hits on the video game vibe again, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so as always, thank you very much for joining us for this review. Um, if you have any thoughts on this movie, if you've seen it or if you're thinking of seeing it after listening to this, uh, please let us know and get in touch at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. And make sure to join us next week as we will be uh, heading into the Marvel Universe to watch a movie that I've seen a fair few times, but JT has never seen. But it's a James Gunn movie um, that has a good reputation. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so yeah, join us next week for that. And for me, this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. It ripped him out of his suit. It ripped him right out of his goddamn suit. What could do that? <laughs>